Beloved, we return to our study of the Lord's Prayer, the sixth petition, focusing now as we close the study in the next few weeks on the second part, as you know, deliver us from evil. And right now we're with Thomas Watson's book, The Lord's Prayer, teaching us through that. have a few things I'm bringing to you from the book, Our Ancient Foe, as well, I'll open with. Just a review. Generally, we learned for a while that deliver us from evil is requesting that God would deliver us from the evil of sin itself, generally, and then specifically or specially, as he says, three things we studied that he would deliver us from our own evil heart, which is really the heart of the matter, that we wouldn't give in to the temptation and sin. Uh, but then next, deliver us from the evil one, Satan, we studied last week. Those were both with Thomas Watson, relatively brief things that he discussed. They ended up being a longer study because of how much I brought in from the other book. But he actually didn't give a lot of attention on those two things, probably because he had discussed them quite a bit in the first section, uh, lead us not into temptation. I imagine that's why. Uh, Tonight we study uh, what he gives more attention to. It's not the final part. It will end more positively. Uh, But uh, I don't expect we'll finish it tonight. Deliver me from evil. We're praying especially now, the third thing, from the evil of this world. From the evil of this world. Okay? Uh, Before we open up with Thomas Watson, I'd like to share a few things from something I had before. Again, this book is Our Ancient Foe, Satan's History, Activity, and Ultimate Demise. Um, by PNR Publishing and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, this, article, uh, this chapter from the book, Roger Nicole, Conflict with Evil, I have shared with quite a bit before. There's just a few things I want to share that I haven't yet from the chapter, just, just to open up our study tonight. So this section of his chapter, Conflict with Evil, is called A Threat from Outside, Human Enemies. Um, not a lot to share, but I, I think it does relate well because we're studying protect us from the evil of this world. Now that, of course, has a lot to do with who's behind our human enemies, uh, the principalities of this world that relate still to Satan. But the truth is this world is evil because Satan, the evil one, is ruling it. We saw that last week. Many scriptures say he's the God of this world. He's the ruler of this world. Therefore, we need to recognize the world is out for us just as much as Satan is because he's ruling it and influencing it. It is not neutral. I, I can't help but think I was going to joke around, but you know, there's a song I really like to sing, uh, but I think it's kind of the opposite sentiment of what the reality is. You know, there's, I see skies of blue, da 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 da, right? And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. You know, I love that song. And as we're looking up at skies of blue, certainly Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare, the glory of God. And so there's an aspect of even the fallen world is still so tremendous. General revelation still gives us so many reasons to praise the Lord. But then as we look around and see everything happening in the world, such as right now this uh, incredible thing going on with the Palestinians and, the, and Israel and um, the decapitating, uh, decapitation of babies is something I've been told. And uh, so much murder and Uh, horrible things happening. Just, again, imagine if it was happening right here with us, how frightened we'd be. And so we, as we did pray, we want to keep praying over the situation. We look around, and though the world is beautiful, and even humanity in its fallen state represents God, is the image of God in a broken state, and there's still tremendous things. But the problem is, ultimately, 
It's a broken world. And it's a world that is ruled by Satan and influenced by Satan. And all you have to do is study history in any class to see that, right? We just go back through recent history and you're going to mostly see what a wicked world it is. Not wonderful, but wicked. And we need to be crying out, come Lord Jesus, come soon, come quickly. Deliver us from this world just like you delivered Noah and his family from this world before So I share with you, uh, Roger Nicole, Conflict with Evil, A Threat from Outside Human Enemies. Our threat is not only from flesh and blood within us, but also outside us. We are beset by human enemies who war with us. Indeed, the early Christians, including the Ephesians themselves, had experienced some persecution. We know of human powers that were gathering together and pummeling the church of Jesus Christ in the first and second centuries. Before Constantine's conversion at the beginning of the 4th century, we count 10 different serious periods of persecution, some of them extremely severe, and all of them persecutions wherein men and women were called on to give their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And remember Antipas, my faithful servant Antipas, is remembered by Jesus in the Revelation for being a martyr for Jesus. Uh, you know the stories of uh, those like Polycarp, and um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the young lady's name, uh, some that we're particularly familiar with, thrown into the lions, or my understanding is under Nero, Christians were put up, uh, tarred up and put up to be the lighting, the lit on fire to be the lighting of parties at night. You know, I mean, it's incredible to think about the things that thankfully we don't face directly. Um, but, you know, this has always been the truth of the world. Remember, Jesus says in the Beatitudes that you're going to be blessed when you're cursed, persecuted for righteousness' sake. So were the prophets before you. Well, the prophets weren't just persecuted by what was said about them, but what was done to them, right? Um, You can read through Hebrews 11 and remember how many people suffered uh, some sawed in two, remember it speaks of, right? Uh, All kinds of horrible things. The world is against the church. There are ebbs and flow of course, in the influence of Christianity, but ultimately the world is always against Christ until his return. Lots of eschatological implications that could be made, but I'll defer you to, uh, refer you to my sermons on the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, uh, on Sermon Audio, and our Revelation study. For now, I want to quote him a little more. He says this, There are powers that be that are opposed to Christianity. It isn't just Satan. It's the world, the powers that be. He has another section, a threat from outside demonic forces, again, working through the world. We must know also that behind human enemies, and perhaps using them as their unwitting instruments, there are demonic powers arrayed against the sovereign power of God, who intend in every possible way to harm God's people, rip them away from the good shepherd as if that were even possible and fling them into destruction, sorrow, and hell. And he's talking about Ephesians 6 and saying, don't go into battle without being aware of your enemies. Here's a story he shares that reminds me similarly of what we heard of that that guy praying remember last week Joel Beakey shares a story a congregant said I was sitting next to a man I thought oh you're a Christian I see that you're praying he says no I wasn't praying to Jesus I was praying to Satan 
that he would break 30 churches this week and, you know, all this stuff he said, take out 30 pastors and, you know, that was what we heard last week, recognizing we have uh, the enemy of Satan. But, of course, that person was acting as an enemy of the church, right? And uh, so Roger Nicole shares this. We must be equipped to face and resist whatever may come our way. I have been told, though I have no way of verifying it, that there are 30,000 pastors in West Germany and 90,000 officially registered witches. You hear the difference? 30,000 pastors, 90,000 officially registered witches. That means that Germany has three times as many people devoted to witchcraft as people who are least not, at least nominally devoted, excuse me, people who are at least nominally devoted to the preaching of the scriptures. And that is in the land of Luther. That is terribly discouraging. And Paul warns us, you have to wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And again, they are working through the leaders of this world. You know, think about that. That's Germany where the Reformation started with Martin Luther. You know, Scotland was the bastion of Presbyterianism. Scotland was an amazing place of Reformation and godliness. But I remember my professor in seminary, a, a man whose whole family line is from Scotland. I remember him saying, and he was not a man, Dr. Wayne Spear, I should say he is not a man uh, who is prone to exaggeration or uh, dramatic, uh, you know, things. Very quietly and humbly as he is, he said, I remember, Scotland is one of the most wicked nations in the world now. Speaking of his own heritage. We need to recognize that's not by accident. That's because Satan is working through the world to destroy such things. And I think we can recognize he particularly works through perverting how we think and how we interpret life, such as there's no such thing as gender anymore. Well, why do you think it's going that far? Because, well, then who's to say who can do whatever they want with their bodies, whatever the sins that just even a generation ago I never had to hear about I was growing up, you know? Um, and by the way, it's not just San Diego. I'm so sick of everybody taking shots at Southern California. When we were in little dinky Sheboygan, Wisconsin for Presbytery a few years ago, across from the church in the convenience store where we stayed in a hotel was a transvestite man serving us. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Well, when he quotes that uh, he was told 30,000 pastors in West Germany, 90,000 official registered witches, uh, he said that was, uh, there's a footnote that says he gave this speech in 1989. Where do you think it is now? I mean, beloved, it's October. Yes, let's celebrate the, res- the Reformation, but what do we see all around us already? It's insane. It's insane. It's insanity. Let me read a few other things. He says, the Christian really is hard-pressed. There is evil within, human evil without, and demonic evil at the back of everything. Evil that is militating against his or her best interests. 
Now, the chapter overall is reminding us to stand, and I shared some of his chapter and articles more recent, uh, sermons more recently, stand, you stand in grace, right, and uh, resist the devil, and he's telling us, take up the sword, and he shares that really powerful story in Pilgrim's Progress of one of the characters fighting so long that he couldn't open his hand, right, and we see that ideas of that in scripture, that we would fight, and we wouldn't stop with the uh, what is it up here in the window, the mirror? I can't see to it. Gladius Spiritus, the sword of the spirit, right? Um, the word of the Lord. So we're not to be cowering away. And the fighting is the word of God and prayer and the spirit, bearing the arm of God, remembering that our battle isn't with the people so much as what's behind it. The, the demonic realm, the prince of this world against the prince of peace, Satan and his minions, but they are fighting by the way they are influencing the world that is not of Christ. And we've got to remember that as we are serving the Lord, there will always be opposition to us. And it will often come in the face and in the masquerade of Christians and churches. Just as Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So I'm going to turn now to where we left off with Thomas Watson. Again, we studied two weeks ago, we pray specially that God would deliver us from our own evil hearts. Because again, it's, Satan doesn't make us do anything, he influences, we, we choose to respond to him. And remember, anytime we do with sin, we're actually saying yes to Satan instead of Christ. That's pretty scary to think about. Um, then uh, the second thing we prayed for is, yes, deliver us from the evil one, Satan himself. And now tonight, the third thing Thomas Watson points out that we pray especially is, deliver us from this evil world. And he points out in Galatians 1.4 that it is called an evil world. Contrary to what people want to say, and I think I do, need to, I do need to speak to something that I don't usually too often, but we often get so much problems over this idea of common grace in the world is generally good and God is pleased with everybody, including people hitting baseballs. I mean, I've heard people talk about these kinds of things from my own friends and professors. The world is wicked. It's at enmity with God. We've got to recognize that. Too many Christian colleges are saying, let's look for redeemed aspects in the world. No, the world is sinful. We look to redeem the world, not to find redeemed things from the world. There's nothing to be redeemed in it. That is, there's nothing redeemed in it. It needs to be redeemed. You know, I, I remember hearing someone teach, you know, when uh, we see in Genesis how uh, all these different groups of people have all these skills. Uh, that's the example of common grace. But I appreciate my Hebrew professor, not knowing what others have said. So this is an example of the world going against God. It leads to the places like the Tower of Babylon. Instead, it is the people who have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit spoken of when they, like Aholiab and, uh, was, is it, am I getting this right? Belial and Aholiab, was, even though we've read it so many times, not names that come naturally to me. Uh, these are examples of God's wisdom, the Holy Spirit being in some, doing crafts for the Lord, working wisdom from their hands for the Lord, for the worship of God. The rest of the world are doing it for Satan. Whether or not they or anyone wants to really be honest about that. But it doesn't take much to see that that's the case. 
this is an evil, wicked world. Galatians 1.4. Let's deal with reality, which is why we need Jesus to save us from the world. And why creation itself in Romans 8 is crying out to be delivered itself from the impact of evil in this world. But uh, let's go see the scripture directly. He refers us first to Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil world. I most feel like saying enough said, but let's continue with the study. Because when we really get and grapple with that, it affects how we live in this world. It affects where we would let our children be trained and studied how to think. It affects where we go with our families and what we allow us to watch and not watch, listen to, not listen to. He says it is a defiling world. He's going to share with us how it's an evil world in a number of ways. It is a defiling world. It is an ensnaring world. It is a discouraging world. It is a deadening world. It is a maligning world. It is a deceitful world. It is a disquieting world. I don't know that we'll get through all that tonight, but those are the main sections of how this is such an evil world. Let's start with the first part. The opinions of the world, excuse me, it is a defiling world, Thomas Watson writes. It is like living in an infectious air. It requires a high degree of grace to keep ourselves, quote, unspotted from the world. And he's referencing James 1.27. True religion is this, what? To take care of widows and orphans and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And he says it's very hard to do that because the very air you breathe is, breathe is infectious. Right, how many men say it's hard to just get through the day driving by a billboard or walking through the, uh, the line to buy your groceries? It's an infectious world all around. You, you can't really breathe without it getting in your lungs and affecting you. He says the opinions of the world are defiling. Yes, Isaac, let's So in an ad once, it's, it was about like a printer thingy, whatever. But at the beginning, it's like some things in life, there are things we cannot trust. And then there's this guy in this gas station. And then you know, looking at the shoesy thing, thinking, mm, eh. and then later and at home. So like. Throws up. You know, everything's... Everything is defiling. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, He says, the opinions of the world are defiling. He writes, that the flesh is rather to be gratified than mortified. That's what the world tells us constantly, right? I mean, you can think of things that seem innocuous enough, right? You deserve a break today, right? You know, have it your way. And I've just, com- I've just covered most of the hamburger and, in- in- you know, like, you know, but yeah, I'll have it my way and my way is going to give me a heart attack, right? You know, uh, but go ahead, have it your way. Like, and then we all, oh, yeah, okay. And then this thing, you know, we are gluttonous, right? I'm convicted about how I've got to start losing weight again. That's, that's a sin that's listed. I heard a sermon recently, I think on RefNet. It was kind of scary to me when it talked about orgies. 
the person pointed out that the orgies is not talking about sexual behavior, but gluttonous behavior, actually, when you look at the Greek. And that leads to a lot of other things. It's defiling. Don't mortify the flesh. Gratify the flesh. Whatever you feel, do it. Feed the animal. Feed the monster. Feed the flush, flesh, the lust, the pride of eyes, the pride, the eyes of life. Feed it all. If it makes you feel good, do it. One of the songs out there on the pop radio, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Right? You know, that's a long time ago. The songs today, can you believe what's out there? I, I still am shocked. I'm so in a fishbowl. I hardly, when sometimes it's unbelievable what's out there. It's not that I don't enjoy some secular music, some secular things, but you know, you got to be so discerning and recognize there is a defiling influence in all of it to be careful and watch out for. He writes, there is great proneness in us to follow the examples of the world. What's one of the reasons that the Israelites had such a problem following God so quickly? Got any ideas? The mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with them. The, 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 the bad leaven just takes a little bit. What's the warning of the scriptures so often? Just a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And leaven actually happens pretty quickly, doesn't it? We're, we're so inclined to follow the wickedness of the world. We're so easily influenced by Satan speaking to our ear and our eyes. Often, he doesn't have to do anything so tremendously supernatural. He just lets us satisfy ourselves with TV and smartphones and movies and social media and barely any time reading the Bible or praying. And he doesn't even have to work that hard, does he? Exodus 23, verse 2. How easily are we hurried to sin when we have the tide of natural corruption and the wind of example to carry us. I think I saw recently a reminder of a study by Ligonier a few years ago. I think it's the majority of young Christians in churches today don't think cohabitating outside of marriage is a sin. I don't know where they get that from if they read their Bibles, but you know where they get it from? Where do they get it from, beloved? What's the study tonight? The world. The example of the world. The pressure of the world more and more and more. He writes this, the river of Peru in America, frankly, I think it's impressive when you consider his time and what they would have known without all so many things. He's, he's aware of Peru. That's something to be impressed by Thomas Watson and the Puritans and their scholarship, especially with the lack of things we have. The river of Peru in America, after running into the main sea, keeps fresh and does not mingle with the salt waters. To which lot might be compared whose piety kept fresh in Sodom's salt water? They were mingled among the heathen and learned their works is the warning. Psalm 106, verse 35. Psalm 105, Psalm 106 sings so much about Israel in the Old Testament and how often they just gave into the world. Uh, so we're supposed to be like that river that just doesn't change. It stays fresh even though it hits a place where it's mingled with salt water. You can see that sometimes, right, where a tributary enters in. I know the Hudson River, for instance, I forget the word for it, but there's a mixture of salt water and fresh water because of course it originally it, 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 at one point is part of the ocean by New York City but there's that thing you see where the waters are separate 
When I was in Pittsburgh, the Monongahela comes down from, I believe, West Virginia, the Allegheny from New York, and they meet at the point of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Fort Pitt, by the way, Isaac, that's what you've been learning about, Fort Pitt, and then they go out as the Ohio River into Ohio, and you can see the rivers convulging, uh, and you can see the difference of color in the one river. I won't comment which one is, it doesn't matter, but just to not sound like I'm trying to say anything. But it's much muddier, you know? And you can see that dirty water and it not really mixing with the other. You can see the difference. We're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to have the Holy Spirit bubbling up pure water in us. We're not supposed to be influenced and dirtied by the world. We're to remain separate and pure. But... Psalm 106.35, they were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. Now remember the scriptures say we're not called out of the world, but we are called to be in it, but not of it. Be ye separate, says the Lord. Be a holy nation of kingdoms and priests, right? Not look just like it. Not look just like it. What happens when Christians and Christian institutions and churches try to go reach people by being just like them, they become them. And they look no different. And the church begins to not look like Christ in his body. 1 Corinthians 15.33, remember again, don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupts good morals. You've got to be so concerned who you're around. And when you're around by necessity of work or school and other situations, you've got to know how to handle yourself and how to have discernment. So it is a defiling world. It is an evil, wicked world. This present world, right? Uh, it's defiling. The next thing he points out to us, it is an evil world as it is an ensnaring world. Trapping, right? Caught in a snare, a trap. The world is full of snares, he says. Company is a snare. Recreation is a snare. I can't tell you how many people try to tell me over the years I've talked about, oh, I don't have to worry about this or that for the Sabbath. Uh, you know, this is restful for me on the Sabbath as I go out on my this or that. You know, that's not holy. <laughs> Recreation is a snare. I was discouraged to hear about uh, a certain situation. They were assuring parents, in this place, there'll be no sports on the Sabbath, no practicing. And yet the lead into it was, I know how hard it is for you as it is for me, how often we have sports on the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day with our kids. And I'm like, you just basically confessed you violate the Sabbath. But in this case, we won't. Recreation is a huge snare on the Sabbath, as are often serving our children rather than training our children. And we just let them do whatever they want. We don't want to say no to the world. Because you have to say no for your children to a lot of things you'd like to say yes to. I never had the Sabbath being broken an issue for me to do sports when I was growing up. It's, things are changing more and more. Other snares are oaths. Making commitments to things we should not. Riches are golden snares, he says, right? Jesus says it's very hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. The love of money is the root of all evils, right? But that's all worldly stuff. He quotes 1 John 2.16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He writes, the lust of the flesh is beauty. The lust of the eye is money. The pride of life is honor. These are the natural man's trinity. What should be our trinity 
is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But the natural man's trinity is the lust of the eye, money, the pride of life, honor, the flesh, lust of the flesh, beauty. He says the world is a flattering enemy. You can think of all the warnings in Proverbs, right? Watch out for the flattering liar. Even the proverb that says the one who really loves you will tell you the truth with words that can hurt. But the next part of the verse is, but flattering lips, right? Come from the enemy. Yeah, peep, the world is going to tell you, don't listen to the church. You know, don't, you don't want to be Puritan, reform, whatever it is. They're going to mock and, and, and give you all the excuses of flatter. You, you deserve better than that. You deserve to be happy. You should have all, I mean, what did, what did Satan offer Jesus in the, in the wilderness? Riches, power, honor, right? And he's doing the same to us through the world. And I think a lot of times that too often is a job or a location that sacrifices the church and the best churches. He says the world bewitched Demas, 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, one of Christ's own apostles was caught with a silver bait. Who's that? <laughs> Judas, right? Why did Jesus, Judas gave up Jesus because of money? And he was stealing, as we know from the scriptures, I believe it's the Gospel of John, he was stealing from the money bag of Jesus' group. Oh, you know, that money could have, that money, she used that, all that riches to anoint you, Jesus, that could have been given to the poor. And then, no, 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 the truth is he wanted the money, and he was stealing. 1 Timothy 6, 9, he references, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. By the way, you don't have to ever be rich to fall into that snare. How many of us are chasing after the Joneses, never become the Joneses, but give our whole life away trying? Right? Number three, it's an evil world as it is a discouraging world. It's an evil world in that it defiles. It is an evil world as it ensnares and entraps you, makes a slave and an animal out of you in a, in a tight little cage. And it is an evil world, next, number three, because it is a discouraging world. It casts scorn and reproach upon those who live virtuously. As the scriptures say, those who seek to live a godly life will particularly suffer for the kingdom of heaven. The world is going to especially mock you if you really want to be serious. If you really want to keep the Lord's day, right? He says, the world deals with the professors of religion as Sanballat did with the Jews when they were building. Uh, and this is in Nehemiah's day. By the way, we're hoping in a while to get to be preaching Nehemiah. Uh, Sanballat with the Jews when they were building, he mocked the Jews and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Nehemiah 4.1. What was his job? We're going to rebuild the walls. Ezra, we're going to rebuild the temple. And they had constant Opposition from the world, inside and outside. It slowed it down, stopped it for a while. Which is why God sent prophets such as Zechariah to preach to them to get back to it. And they did finish it. But the world was constantly opposing rebuilding God's temple. Of course they were. Why? Because it represented God's presence. And he did manifest his presence with them there. And it represented what? The typology of Jesus Christ. And how we are saved by God. What needs all this cost? What profits is it to serve the Almighty? Right? 
Again, Judas, oh, you know, that money could have been given to the poor. That's so costly. You know, people are going to say that. Why all the cost? What profit do you get out of all of this to serve the Almighty? Yeah, you know, and that does get, our, get us sometimes, right? Because, yeah, what do we have to show for it? What do we have to show for it here? The place is not packed because we're Puritan. Seeking to follow the lead of the Puritans and praying the Lord would give a work of the Spirit like the time of the Puritans. What do we have to show for it? Yeah, we don't have all these big things to point to. We have, though, our big and mighty God who sustains and supports and says, Hey, Gideon, that's too many people. Bring less. I will show, as Zechariah says, not by might nor power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. But we face that, those words. What are you doing at the Puritan church? What are you, what are you doing trying to, you know, oh, give me a break. Come on, Halloween. There's nothing wrong with Halloween, right? You know, all these things. You know, how many Christians do it? I mean, we have to deal with it, as I mentioned, in our own homeschooling network academy. It's like, are you serious? Really? Like we were approached about our son speaking. This isn't something we should do. <laughs> yes, Fernanda. Uh, I'm sorry, I got to put you on the mic. Can you give mommy the mic? We need people to be able to hear what you're saying, including the recording. Now she's rethinking it. Too late. <laughs> follow Moliere. What's the, what's the uh, imperative of falar? Is it fala or follow? Folly. Folly Moliere, por favor. Oh, honey, you got to turn it on. Did you see a green light? Yeah. Okay. So today in Brazil, they are making a, like a protest online on Instagram about uh, the gay marriage. And they say, uh, you, don't, you don't need to say no to gay marriage if you are not the, the part of the relationship. Like, you're not allowed to say no. Oh, if, if you're not gay or in that marriage, yeah. you have no right to say anything yeah. about it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. And one lady from my church in Brazil, she put something online today. Wow. And And sadly, I mean, you've been sharing how a lot of different people in your church you grew up with are going the way of the world in significant ways. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yes, Rachel. It's funny. I just saw on Instagram a post from Southwestern, because I still Mm. keep up to date with them. And the Southwestern philosophy, or say, yeah, philosophy department had a speaker, evidence um, about evidence for the argument of like no God or something like that. Okay. Like his whole thing was, this is why no God exists, basically. Yeah. Not, un- not surprising to hear that in the secular college campuses, but it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's out there. You know, uh, I'll bring up what we did at the men's study last night. You had shared with me the study, What is Woman? Matthew Walsh, I think, is that the right name of the guy? By the way, that's disturbing, and there are some words and things you might want to think about, but I'll, I would allow my kids to see it because it's mind-boggling as you know what's out there but he's interviewing this one professor at a college I think in Tennessee and uh, he is a pastor uh, excuse me (laughs) he's a professor of uh, women's studies and I think LBGT stuff and he's interviewing him he keeps asking him well you're you're the professor of women's studies what is woman what is a woman and he's going around asking everyone that the guy won't answer him it's pretty relevant right that's what your whole thing is, and you won't answer the question. Well, you know, there's a lot of different things and what it means to different people. No, I don't, no, what is it? What is a woman, right? And he asks questions. The guy starts to get really angry. 
And then he says, look, I'm, I'm just wanting to know what is truth. I want to know what is true. And do you know what he says to that? In response to that question, I want to know what is true. He said, now you're being transphobic. The question of truth itself is transphobic, of course, right? And he says, this interview's over. You saw so many people. But he started calling him all these bad... And that's what happens, right? You can't say, I don't believe this is true. You become the enemy. That's why there's a lot of fear and pressure to get you to say nothing. Because if you do, as nice as you might say it, you are a target by the world. By people in this world. With an agenda. It's incredible to me the influence that that agenda has now. But because they are evangelistic about it and they are they're militant about it. But yeah, the evil world is discouraging. And even not those such aggressive things, but just friends, people who are quote-unquote fellow Christians. What, you know, why are you so worried about worship? What, you know, it's okay if you do this or that. Why do you got to, God understands, you know. Uh, it's a discouraging, it discourages us to act like Christians. It discourages piety. It discourages any concern for doing evil and being concerned about being part of the world. Another thing we say, even in our homeschooling network, it is unbelievable how worldly so many are. I mean, it shouldn't be that next week they have to have a boys' mandatory meeting for academy to try to finally figure out who keeps making a mess and destruction of the bathroom in this church that's hosting us. That shouldn't even be happening. And there's been lots of emails over months to try to figure this out and stop it. He gives us Hebrews 13, verse 36. These are all called cruel mockings. Number four, and uh, this is where we'll close tonight. It's an evil world as it is a deadening world. It dulls and deadens the affections to heavenly objects. So there's clearly an overlap here, right? It's an evil world in terms of defiling ensnaring and discouraging. It is an evil world now, number four, as it is a deadening world. It dulls and deadens the affections to heavenly objects. Earthly things, he writes, earthly things choke the seed of the word. And we hear that scripture often, right? Mark, Matthew chapter 13, 22, Mark 4, 19. But we, we think of it how, yeah, some seed that's broadcast, right? It, it falls on places where the, the cares of this world quickly choke it out, and so there's no fruit. There never seems to be any conversion. But let's face it, folks. Those same interests of the world and cares of the world deaden our own ability to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. We are way more prone to give ourselves to anything but devotions, prayer, self-discipline, Right? We are way too influenced by the world. We like to be entertained by the world. And we truly spend the majority of our time with entertainment and amusement because we are Americans. And we have far too much in front of us that I sometimes think the rest of the world, they must be marveling over with what they have to go through just to survive a day. And with all that we have, we deaden ourselves to it. We deaden ourselves to spiritual things because of the things of the world. Uh, he writes this, it is like swimming with a stone about the neck. Well, we're familiar with that. Jesus says, if you cause one of his little ones to sin, it'd be better if you have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. But see, that's what we're doing to ourselves with the world around us. It just 
makes it hard to keep our head about, above water in holiness and serving the Lord. I, I was baffled uh, last year in a homeschooling context. This one young boy who is incredibly gifted musically. The kinds of stuff not only his parents, but his elders and his pastor and his grandma were big fans of attending in person and encouraging about with music. Metallica? Seriously? I thought we were supposed to keep no appearance of evil. I thought we were homeschooling our children to keep them from being influenced by the world. What is that? What is that? I don't get that. But what I do get is why the whole world and the whole church looks the same. I'm sorry when a homeschooling group has an event in October to pretend it's not accommodating Halloween. But we have a dress-up day of your favorite book character. And about five or six people I'm walking around last year are dressed like Harry Potter. We got a problem. Why is it that Reformed churches don't seem to recognize we should dress modestly? The Reformed churches are the worst. By my experience. I don't get it. Why is it that a recent Christian college, I had to encourage them to take off a video done by a student that was a favorite video using a curse word from a movie that he was mouthing in the screen. But it's a place that seems to be pushing beautiful, virtuous things. Why is it that the church doesn't get this stuff? We are so deadened. I mean, you ask the average Christian and they look at you like, huh? It is an evil world. I'll go to number five and close. It is an evil world as it is a maligning world. It hates the people of God. Because you are not of the world, therefore the world hateth you. John 15, 19. Let's not kid ourselves. We want to pretend the world is so groovy. But the world hates us and is not interested in who we're trying to be for Christ. We try to accommodate the world and that's exactly what Satan wants. Because the world is not interested in accommodating us. It's interested in perverting and destroying us. It hates us because it hates Christ. Why can't we get that? As often I've appreciated, many ministers have said, such as Richard Phillips in the PCA, we have lost the antithesis. We have no sense that we are to be antithetical to the world. It's the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan, and you're only on one of two sides. But Jesus tells the truth about it. That's why they crucified him. That's why they'll crucify you. Satan lies about it. That's why they all pretend they're masquerading as if they're good and light and good and holy. But they're calling what Isaiah says, they're calling what God says is evil good, and what God says is good evil. The mark that is shot at is piety. That's one of the Puritans' greatest concerns. Not that we're all pure, but that we should be striving for the Lord to help us grow in piety. That's where where this study will end. And remember early on, he said, when we pray, deliver me from evil, it is also implying, help me to grow in piety. They are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that is good. Psalm 38 verse 20. Why are they my adversaries? Because I follow the thing that is good. 
Go through all church history in the Bible alone. That is exactly what you see. And what does Ahab say to Elijah? You trouble me and the people. And what's his answer? No, you trouble the people because you don't want to obey God. God has sent me to preach to you and you and the people don't want to obey him. You have been polluted by the world around you and its idols and its false gods. You trouble yourselves. The world pretends to hate the godly for something else, but the ground of the quarrel is holiness. That's what he says. The world pretends to hate uh, the godly for something else, but the ground of the quarrel is holiness. Oh, of course, they'll try to make you feel guilty that you're legalistic and you're judgmental. You don't have to be doing or saying anything. Just trying to be holy will bring that upon you. I've seen it many times. The most humble, God-fearing people, the most quiet are the ones who can be ridiculed. They've done, they've said nothing to others. It's their lifestyle that speaks it. Just as we're warned by Paul in the scriptures not to deny our profession by our lifestyle. A lifestyle that lives up to our profession says something to the world and they hate it for us. They are offended by it. Your presence as light makes the darkness want to destroy you. John 15, 18 to 21. The world hated me before it hated you. Let's turn there and we will close with this. Uh, A few other scriptures in John. Turn with me to John 15. And uh, this fifth section is what we'll close with. John 15. Keep in mind that the chapter opens with he's the vine, we are the branches. Apart from him, we can't bear fruit, we can't do anything. And uh, if we are not in him and union with him, we'll eventually be pruned off and cast to the fire. That's the warning of dead wood pretending to be part of the vine of Christ. Visible church warning. John 15, 18 to 21. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the world, excuse me, remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. They hated Jesus. What did the world do to Jesus? What did people do to Jesus? They killed him for speaking the truth about himself. Yes, it was God's providence and everything to, to save us of our sins. We, we know that from like Acts chapter 2. You know, your sinful hands crucified, but God gave. It was predestinated to save us from our sins. Yet it's still sin. It's still the world. He writes this, it is a Christ-hating and saint-hating world. This is the world we live in, beloved. Your own heart, remember, cry to be saved from it because it wants it. It's a Christ-hating and a saint-hating world. Turn with me back to John chapter 13. I shouldn't have closed my Bible. I forgot. I'm looking right at my notes. John chapter 13. Verse 16. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Chapter 16, verse 3. And these things will they do unto you because they, know, they have not known the Father nor me. Let, me. let me go back, verses 1 to 3. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Remember, they tried to run him out of the synagogues and off a cliff once, Remember? I believe that's the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, uh, and then he says again, "And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me." I won't go to the other scriptures I've I've written down, but Matthew ten twenty two, Matthew twenty four verse nine, Matthew five ten through eleven, all these scriptures where he says, "You're going to be persecuted if you're truly my disciples. They will hate you because they hated me." This is the world and beloved. This is much of the religious world because much of the religious world, including those that would claim to be conservative, even dare I say reformed, are more worldly than they are of the word. God protect us from that. God protect our church from being worldly. This is what we are asking God to deliver us from. God protect we Christians from being worldly. This is what we're asking God. Let us ask him now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.